This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. And some of you are either late for the workshop or early for the reading. Either is fine because <laughs> this is a little something new. And what we wanted to add to the many things that we do are this type of workshop. And today I want to thank Edward Vilguare, who is El Jefe over at Flower Song Press, who wants to open the door. And again, you might have questions now or later. We we're chatting earlier about different strategies. It's a lot to cover. There's a lot of different areas to cover, but at the end of the day, what we want to do is make this a space where we can have those discussions and keep building on it and encourage folks to become readers, writers, and feel at home at the Latino bookstore. But also we want to give different resources. So this is the first time we've had a workshop on getting published. Um, and we want to have more like that. A few other things that we've added, because this has been one year since the Latino bookstore opened. So we should give a round of applause to the director of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, Christina Bailly. And one year ago was the launch of the Latino Bookstore here at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, but it was a vision of over five years that you had to make this space. It could have been many things, but it's now the Latino Bookstore. And obviously it's a place for your stories. So of course we've been Really proud to have stock of Flower Song Press books from the beginning. So that means a lot. Thank you so much. We want to keep doing that. But what we've been adding as well is you've noticed across the street is a, is a grammar school. We've just started conducting tours there. And what that literally means is uh, on Thursdays, as of a month ago, because it took us that long to get that going, um, I go across the street meet with some of the parents. We come across the street. We literally walk across the street. They get a tour. They get a workshop. In November, the workshop will be by Javier Garza, who is a local writer and teacher and visual artist. His work will be on display in December. So this is also not a traditional commercial bookstore, just like you're not a traditional commercial publisher. You're of the people. So are we. So we have in this room visual art exhibits as well. So Javier Garza will be presenting his book from Arte Publico Press, another independent publisher, and he'll have an exhibit of his artwork in this room. But November, he'll be across the street with us doing a special workshop for the parents that will also tie in the Day of the Dead. Um, and that's, that's very unique. The other thing that we're adding, like I said, is this particular workshop to tell people, hey, this is a possible venue. You might not have questions today, Maybe you talk to Edward and say, hey, how can I submit this later? This is not a one-stop deal, but we want to keep developing it. Uh, and then, of course, we want to celebrate the authors. So I want to thank tonight is Flower Song Press Fest. We've got four writers coming in from California. And it's fantastic, too, because I got to see some of them in California. I was just coming from there myself. Uh, but we're going to have, from California, David Romero reading shortly. Matt Sedio reading shortly. Um, also, uh, Alicia Urrieta will be coming in from Austin, Leticia. 
Uh, she'll be coming in for a little bit from Austin. And then right down the block is Marisol. <laughs> Marisol is actually right from right down the block, which is fantastic, because we want to stress that this publishing house in the Rio Grande Valley is not just representing the community in the Rio Grande Valley. It's all of Texas, all of Califas, and Nashville, just like this bookstore is a destination site. So when the doors for the theater across the street are not open because there's not a show, people can come in during business hours and take some of our cultura home. On any given day, this is a visitor center. During business hours, folks can stroll in. They'll see copies of the book and take them home, which is fantastic because in the past, they couldn't do that. And that's the legacy of the work that you're doing. And that's how powerful uh, those books are. So um, I'm so happy to, to have you all here. And I'm gonna throw it to you to, to MC. And now I do wanna say, um, I'm the literary curator for the Latino bookstore, 20 Dias de Libro Traficante. And uh, Christina and I will be talk are talking about 2023. So it's coming, believe it or not. So this has been a fantastic season. Um, in November, we had Guadalupe McCall coming. And then to end it out in December, every first Friday, in December, it will be uh, Javier Garza but we want to top it next year. So just like Edward is asking you for your ideas, we want your ideas to make this even bigger and better and everything from grassroots to national. That's what we're capable of, our terms and our terms. So I'm going to give the microphone to Edward. We're on live stream as well at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. Rodrigo Bravo from Nuestra Palabra is helping us with the sound audio. Appreciate that. So ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome, he's taking off his hat from publisher, now he's MC, Edward Viduare. Thank you, brother. All right, so thank you for coming out. And um, you know, uh, Flower Song Press first started off as a press that was looking for border voices, you know, voices along the borderlands and stuff like that. But, um, you know, just looking more into it, we thought, man, there's a, uh, there's borders that are being put everywhere, right? And so we, we've become more of a, a, a global press uh, with poetry coming from Mexico, Central America, Nigeria, um, all over, you know, different parts of the U.S. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just become something um, that's taken over on its own. But yeah, I want to I want to thank you, uh, Tony, for inviting us here to this beautiful building. Every, every this whole block here is awesome. You know, I was like, which story is it? Which story is it? You know, I was like, I want I want to try this one first. Um, so yeah, um, and you know, Matt Cedillo and David, you know, coming from uh, California, and I think you guys hit up uh, Dallas and Houston, and and you're gonna go back the other back west and try to hit up New Mexico and different. Right, Albuquerque and different parts. That's that's amazing. Um, so it, then we have Marisol from here, from around the corner, right? Out, out back there. And then uh, Leticia is probably going to you know, come in here. Is She's from... Uh, Austin. What's, it, what's the town called? Is it Pflugerville? Is that how it's, is that, is that how it's uh, pronounced? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, hey, how are you? See you. Uh, Eddie, how are you, Eddie? Yeah, we have uh, Eddie uh, Vega, who's uh, editing, edited a book that's going to be coming out with Flower Song Press. Uh, and so, um, yeah, uh, 
I'm excited. I hope you are too. We, uh, the, they're all great readers. They're all great writers. And so I'll, I'm going to get off this mic and, and give it to uh, the first reader. Uh, I don't think we have an order. I'm going to see who looks at me the best and smiles at me the longest. <laughs> Marisol looked the other way. Uh, but uh, let's, let's bring up uh, the man right here, the man of the, uh, one of the men of the hour here, David Romero. Uh, thank you, David, for being here also and coming all the way out here. Uh, his book, My Name is Romero, uh, is doing great. You know, he's, he's traveled with it and he's, uh, you know, what I love about David and, and uh, is that he doesn't need his book to read. You know, uh, he's, he's a straight shot, uh, you know, reader from, from the heart and from the head. And um, yeah, I wish I could do that. Yeah, but but I'll give it. I'll, I'll let you listen to David. He's awesome. So yes, uh, without further ado, my name is David A. Romero. I'm the author of My Name Is Romero, published by Flower Song Press. Very proud to be a Flower Song author. Oh yes, and please take pictures in front of our wonderful banner right there. Photo opportunities. Yes, lovely. Make sure to hashtag us Flower Song Press. Um, yes. So this poem is called My Name is Romero. It happens every single night. Telemarketing Juliets calling from their ivy-covered balconies, calling for their star-crossed lovers, calling, hello, is Mr. Romeo in? I'm sorry, Romeo went to go grab a burrito, Mercutio to cruise Whittier Boulevard, and Shakespeare to take some ethnic studies lessons. In other words, Romeo isn't in. My name is Romero. I am not Italian. Centuries-old Spanish blood coursing through these veins, though my parents are not from Spain. And despite the Southern Californian accent, louds words like, dude, sweet, and sick to tumble gracefully from these lips. I'm not a white guy. I'm a Mexican. My name is Romero. Romero like a brand of tortillas that escaped with Guerrero and Mission from the segregation of the ethnic food section into the main aisles of your local supermarket. My name is Romero. Romero like Archbishop Oscar Romero, zombie filmmaker George A. Romero, actor Cesar Romero. Yes, before Jack Nicholson, before Heath Ledger, a brown man played the Joker. They dressed him up in purple suit, green wig, and white face, though he would not shave his trademark suave and sexy Latin mustache. No, he was a Romero. I am a Romero. My parents had dark hair and dark eyes. When I was seven, my brother lied, told me that my father was the mailman. How could you be the son of our parents with your blue eyes and white skin? Well, brother, busta. Like Jerry Springer or Maori, the DNA results are in. I am a Romero, and I know what some of you are thinking, that I'm just another white guy trying to prove he's Latino. Or just another Mexican, chest beating, beating his chest, beating whatever reputation he has left in the process, trying to convince you that his family his country, his nationality are better than you. Why well, I know as well as anyone 
that we are all the children of Africa, roots of no single family tree, but of a flourishing forest that grows collectively towards a magnificent destiny shining, radiating beauty. Just please close your eyes and you can see it. Ah, but forget that. The name of this poem isn't, we are the world, we are the children. No, the name of this poem is my name is Romero, because if you're not proud of who you are, then what are you going to be proud of? And if you don't know where you come from, how are you supposed to know where you're going? And I know one thing, that the name of my father and my father's father and his father's father before him was Romero. Thank you. All right. So uh, if you're not aware, my last name is Romero. Um, my, uh, my uncle, uh, I had the great fortune uh, to be the nephew of uh, the great Frank Romero, a painter uh, based in Los Angeles, muralist, uh, member of the uh, Chicano Art Collective Los Four, um, which was seminal to uh, the development of Chicano art history. Um, and uh, they had a number of very important showings, um, one of them at LACMA, but when, uh, which is the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Um, however, when I was a child, um, I was invited to, field, to a field trip to visit LACMA. And when I asked the docent if my uncle's paintings would be located in that museum, I was greeted with a microaggression, um, which is a subtle or indirect instance of racism, as most, uh, or uh, prejudice in general, as most uh, of these uh, circumstances tend to be. They tend to be microaggressions. Um, so this is a poem about that. It is a poem entitled Micro Machines. Mexican kid with the white skin and blue eyes knows a lot about art. This brings a smile to the white face of a museum docent. She asks the boy how he knows so much. The boy replies, my uncle is an artist. The boy says this without a hint of cynicism or derision. This to him is the greatest thing a person can be, an artist. The docent asks the boy, What's his name? Frank Romero. What does your uncle paint? Cars. He paints old cars. American cars from the 1920s through 50s. LA, palm trees, freeways, and familiar streets as the background. Always bold in color with a zigzagged impasto stroke, the kind of thing you see that immediately makes you say, that's a Romero. The boy suggests to the docent, maybe he has something here. A pause from her then. There's an auto museum down the street. Maybe he has something there. No, that doesn't seem right. Maybe what you mean is he paints cars. There's a dusty wood and tin garage under this museum, and the docent has put his uncle into it. They call this aggression, but really it's so easy as she does it. 
but his uncle doesn't look the same there. His uncle with bold striped sweaters, full wild hair and beard, laugh big enough to fill a room, larger than life personality, looks very different in the Dawson's garage. To her, his uncle is a tiny uncle with a shaved head, brown Pendleton and Dickies. Silver paint spray can in hand, he paints with that in place of a brush. The cars in the garage are smaller too. They're micro-machines. And like them, the boy feels small and getting smaller. His hopes, his pride, all the world and its colors shrinking to a vanishing point because he knows what she means. I know what she meant. I couldn't expand upon these ideas fast enough. There is nothing wrong with painting cars, painting pictures of cars, or dressing like a trollo, but we are not all the same. You can't paint us all with the same brush, fit us all into the same stroke. Whatever the medium, there is nothing wrong with taking pride in your work, but what is wrong is for anyone to assume that we are a smaller people, a lesser people. It is wrong to assume that any one of us can't be acclaimed, can't hang in your museum. Give him the top floor because my uncle is an artist, a painter. His work has hung in galleries the world over. You can find him in the Smithsonian, see his mural in LA by the 101, and yes, he, like me, is a Mexican. My uncle is an artist, a painter, who's been paid to paint cars that were literally bigger than the Mona Lisa. My uncle is an artist, a painter, and like me. He knows how to use the principle of diminution, which is making objects smaller in a piece of art to help create a sense of perspective. My uncle is an artist, a painter, and he doesn't get paid to talk about paintings. He gets paid to paint them with checks larger than your desperate attempts to try and reframe him. And I won't let any of you make me feel small about any of us ever again. Thank you. I've listened to him in the past. It went to when I'm reading his work. Sometimes I read it out loud and like that, just to get a feel for it because that's that's the way he he projects and and, and puts it out there, right? So it's it's pretty cool. Hi, Leticia. Guess what? You're next. <laughs> so uh, coming all the way from everybody says Austin, but it's Pflugerville, yeah. technically, because that's where that's the address I have. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's kind of like in the Rio Grande Valley, there's uh, Sherryland, but it's Mission, Texas. But everybody from Sherryland goes, it's Sherryland. So, okay. So, um, but yeah, Leticia Urieta has a collection, Las Criaturas, which is going to be, if not, I, I don't know if we have books here, but we're going to, because she's got some um, Las Criaturas. And Las Criaturas was a finalist for the uh, Texas Institute of Letters uh, Best 
first book of fiction, the Sergio Troncoso Award. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really, it's, you can read the book in one, in one sitting, right? But you have to go back to it and reread it, you know, and sometimes just not read it in the order that, that it's put out there for you and, and you get different feels. It's, it's awesome. So without further ado, Leticia. David, that's not good. And I'm short too. Can y'all hear me okay? All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much, Edward and, and, um, and Tony and to all my fellow readers um, at Flower Song for um, being here in community. Um, it's really nice to see y'all. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna read from uh, my book, Las Criaturas. It's a hybrid uh, book of poetry and prose. And I'm going to read a story. Why, why not? Let's, let's do something a little different. Um, I'm going to read a story. Uh, so it was interesting. I was telling my mother-in-law, who is here with me today, um, that uh, I recently found out that um, someone uh, complained about my book to the mayor of Pflugerville because it was being sold um, at the farmer's market. <laughs> you can't make this shit up, I'm saying. So excuse my language, sorry. Um, and yeah, uh, so I, um, she had an issue with the cover. She just picked it up, had a reaction, and then put it back down um, and said that something along the lines of that I was peddling Satanism, which is super fun. So I know, right? <laughs> just saying. So, um, so that's super fun. Uh, so in honor of that person, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to read kind of a weird uh, creature story. The in-between mother. Mother is teaching me to sing the sad songs of her people. She sings them from the cliffs overlooking the sea, and I want to know them, but they are in her seal language. The language she never bothered to teach me, and father said that was best. I don't know the words, but I know the tunes, so I hum along to her barking rhythmic songs. That's how she knows that she is a seal person and not just an animal. Her songs are neither here nor there. She sings more and more now that the seasons are changing and I am old enough to learn. When father returns from the sea, he likes to tell stories of storms off the coast and men overboard. But the story I want to hear most is how he took mother for his bride. I sit at his feet near the heat of the stone fireplace and watch him light his pipe the glow illuminating his weather-worn fisherman's face. He rubs the stubble of his beard with the backs of his fingers, the friction churning the tail into being. I went to the bay where the fishermen say the seal people dance in the dark, and there was your ma, as naked as all, and frolicking round the fires and sparks. Her seal skin lay on the rocks by the bay, so I took it up and I begged her to stay by my side, she obliged, and there we were wed on the cliffs overlooking the bay. He told all his stories in verse, which I love, but when he told this one, mother would busy herself with washing dishes and lighting candles around our cottage. She seemed eager to escape the hearing of it. And what did you do with Ma's skin? I asked him each time, and each time he told me something different. This time the dishes clatter and Ma's head peers around the kitchen doorway to hear. 
It was mine to keep, that's all he says. Mother's attention falls away. She returns to her duties, but I'm sure she is on the lookout for her missing self. Mother knits me a sweater as the weather turns cold and we are housebound while father is away at sea for days at a time. When he left, she pressed her cold cheeks to his and kissed him. I wonder if she misses him when, she's gone, when he is gone, but we stay busy. These are the months my people would go away to warm a climb, she tells me from her walking chair. By her side, I brush the hair on my wood doll, Samantha, who I named for myself. Her horse hair is slick and fine as mother's silken locks, but Samantha does not get restless like mother. She is content to sit in her wicker basket all day until I wish to play with her, but not so with mother. When father is away, she takes me to the cliffs and the beach more often. I imagine she is waiting to be rescued. I think of my faraway grandparents, my seal parents, who must still be calling for her to return. The wind hums through her hair and she throws her head back, arms out and away. She could dive away over the cliff at any moment. I croak for her. My bark and howl are unnatural. It scratches and dies in my throat, but mother stops to comfort me, her unsealed daughter. In the night, her candle flickers across the walls of my parents' home where I sleep in the warmth of their bed when father is gone. She tells me stories of my grandparents and her sisters who swim away in the winter and return in the summer to be near the shore where the fish are. Her hand rolls through the air, mimicking the rolling body of the self she used to be. Her missing skin, she tells me, is the one thing that will make her whole. And have you looked for it, I ask? Her brown eyes spark in the light, but she doesn't say yes or no. You are old enough to know where your place is, she says. What does this mean? I wish I could find it for her to see her beautiful self restored. Father is away longer this time, and mother is at the market stocking up for supplies before the winter winds come in full force. And while she is away, I search the house for her skin. The problem is, I don't know what it should look like. I've only seen seals in the summer lounging on the rocks in the bay. Will it feel like father's rubber fisherman boots or like my dolly's hair? Father's dresser and trunks hold only clothes and old photographs of his family who live three villages away. Do they know he captured a seal woman for his bride? Do they know he had me? We've never talked about it. The only place I hadn't looked is underneath the floor. My hands shake when I take a hammer to the floorboards of their room and peel back the soggy wood. At first, there is only dust and dead spiders, but when I move their bed and pry away the floor, I find a suit of sleek brown fur that feels like skin. I hold it against my face and arms, try to slip my body into it, but it's much too big. I wish to know my seal mother's embrace. Her love is a distant one, practical from day to day and weighed down with the memories of her former life. Maybe I never knew her sadness until now. Mother returns home with her basket full of new linens, wool for knitting, fat for cooking, flour and candles. I wait for her to remove her bonnet and shawl, to put up the groceries and come to her chair by the fire, the one she vacates for when, father, uh, when he is home. Sitting in it is her skin, sitting upright like her second self, she stares at it for a time, then takes it up in her hands, smells it, rubs it against her cheek, and remembers. She starts to cry and drops to her knees. 
I come to her side and hug her shoulders. I'm so proud to reunite her with her skin that seeing her cry over what she has missed doesn't frighten me. Mother hugs me back and continues to cry. I am crushed between her woman self and her seal self in a warm, slippery embrace. Mother's scramble to the seashore at dawn is how I learn she won't stay. She brings me to and lets me sit on the crystal sand of the beach while she strips off her clothes. The pale skin of her back disappears inside her dark brown seal skin as she rolls it over her shoulders, the head like a hood that envelops her face and makes her animal, though I know she isn't. The only part of her I recognize are her deep brown eyes now wide and set bulging from the seal head. Mother waddles towards the waves, looks back at me and dives away. When father returns in two days, I am the only one left to tell him that she is gone. In the spring, I tempt mother back to me with fresh mackerel from a bucket, but she won't be fooled to separate herself from her skin again. Out of all the seal brethren, she alone heeds my whining call, the right cry this time. She nuzzles my hand and face, bends back and forth and barks for me. Father asks how I know it is her. I know. Thanks, y'all. Okay, so I had to look this up because they, um, acronyms, I can't remember. Up next, uh, we have uh, Marisol Cortez, who is a uh, two-time book award winner. One for the 2021 Sergio Troncoso first book of fiction for, from the Texas Institute of Letters. And just recently, she won the award for uh, from the Association for the Study of Literature and Environment Leadership, right? It's awesome. And I've got your stickers that you can put on your book right there. Yeah, I, yeah, I have them. So congratulations. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you want to come up and just talk a little bit about the book and, and, and you know, the craziness around it when it came out, um, but I, I think you're better for it. You're, you're awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah, she, she, she's, she's great. And if you haven't uh, picked up her, her novel, um, there'll be some here. So, welcome. Thank you so much, Edward, and thank you, David, and uh, and Matt for organizing this, and Tony, who I don't know where he went, but um, thank you. Yeah, so um, this reading is actually really um, important to me because I live just down the street. Um, uh, it's my neighborhood. I, I didn't grow up on the west side, but my grandparents did. They met at Lanier High School just up the street. Um, my dad would come and visit his, um, his family. Uh, so I have roots here, and this is where I live. So, um, so it's really cool to me that, you know, folks are coming from California to read. Um, and it feels like the book went out into the world, and then now the world is coming back to the book. So that's really cool. Um, so thank you for coming. Um, and I, I, 
I'm going to read a piece of a chapter, and I, I'll, I'll say a little bit more about the book, but I'll read a piece of a chapter and then um, a, just a short poem as well um, that's not related to the book. But um, since this is a convening of California and, and Texas, um, I wanted to open with this excerpt from this chapter um, because it's, there's a little bit of a, a dialogue between the characters about, about which is hotter, Califas or Texas? And, <laughs> and we've been having some discussion about this, right? So um, I thought it would be appropriate. Um, but of course, Luz at Midnight is a book about climate change. That's, so that's the context in which the discussion is happening in a sort of literal way. Um, it's, a, it's a novel, but there's a lot of different kinds of writing in it. There's some poetry, there's some um, playwriting, there's some um, scholarly notes. So different characters are doing different kinds of writing um, and it's all kind of in one story. Um, but, uh, but I wanted to start with this too because it's also a book about San Antonio and San Antonio um, uh, community organizing work that happens here, neighborhood-based uh, organizing. And so this is also a book about um, about being from here, about going away, and then coming back. And uh, so this is a chapter that's called Lali Comes Home. Now it is April and summer already. She is from here, but she's forgotten how hot it is, even in April. Or maybe things had changed in her long absence, grown even hotter than what she remembered. All she knows is that in the gash of California's Central Valley, the high summer sun had seemed to stand feet from your face, getting up in your grill like a playground bully, but it had left the air alone. In California, the differential of shade and nightfall still had meaning. Not so in San Antonio. Here, the air is thirsty for all the heat it can hold. This city is different that way built to radiate outward from a center, teetering at a nexus of the four directions, trees to the east, coast to the south, hills to the north, and to the west, desert. Not that California didn't burn in its own way. In California, there were heat waves and, and flash fires, entire forests of ponderosas and sugar pines combusting spontaneously. Or once, when she was heavy with Nena, a heat wave had descended and lasted for four or five days. Come midnight, the cats still, still lay splay-legged on their backs in the middle of the kitchen floor, panting. She worried then that they would all die, and scared for the baby forming inside her, she had drawn a cold bath and lay there all night and through the next day. Living in NorCal, they had no AC. The house had been built without it. But when that heat wave had lifted, They'd asked their landlord for a window unit, and he had complied grudgingly, but raised their rent. It had been a running argument between Lali and Hector, which was hotter, Califas or Tejas? But the heat waves, Hector would always protest. And yes, the heat waves. And on top of those were the earthquakes and the budget crises and strikes, the upground rumblings of giant underground things, fault lines shifting and rubbing. California was the France of Atzlan, its borderline younger sister who ran on a higher rev, hotter and crazier and out of control. The enlightened civility of its 
prohibitively tiny parking spaces and gas mileage standards and mandatory smog checks was belied by their necessity in the reality of furious traffic, furious activity, and furious competition. Everyone converged on California to get something and go. They had gotten out of California right before the metaphorical house came crashing down, amid the onset of killing drought and wildfires and tuition spiking like fever, closely followed by student protests and occupations over slash public programs. California was hot that way, a fever that came on suddenly with the power to kill you, but overlaid atop a seasonless backdrop of serene blue sky, the nighttime relief of the Delta breeze. In San Antonio, though, the heat stays and stays, inert and unmoving as death. Its persistence is an immediacy that opens her body like stomata to be absorbed into a landscape of home as soon as she is back, in the strange double take of memory, realizing not simply what she has forgotten, but how much she has not, realizing the impossibility of forgetting and also of being forgotten. The heat of April is a surprise, but the surprise itself is a greeting or a welcoming back. The surprise is the shock, not of the novel, but of a forgotten familiar, an uncanniness. Unheimlich in German had that double meaning that Freud loved, meaning something at once homely and strange. All that spring and summer until Lali's savings run out, Nena goes with family three days a week so Lali can finish her dissertation. Flow is called Water Movements in Political Life, leaving the other days to be filled with errands and outings that take forever on the bus in the heat. She has a car, but Hector needs it to get to work. On the return, he'd look for something closer by, better suited for his art degree, but finding nothing quickly, he'd settled for the telemarketing gig on the far north side. Later, he'd buy his own clunker off a of Craigslist for a couple thou, but those first hot seasons back, Lali and Nena are carless. In California, she toted Nena in a pouch strapped to her front or to her back, but it is too hot to do that in South Texas, and Nena has grown too big and squirmy besides, too hot, and there's no money to buffer it. You learn ways to adapt. You carry water bottles filled with ice, that melts by the time you get to where you're going, the free city pool or the public library. Enchilada red, that was how they described the color of its exterior. You know. <laughs> you remember when they built it. You skipped school once to go check it out. To shekalo, in the tongue-in-cheek Spanglish of your extended family, your dad's side anyway. Mom is white, but she's been here so long she says it too, unselfconsciously. You remember a physics class from 10th grade after you were uprooted from San Anto to rural areas north, but before you ran away from home, the, the year you ran away from home, with a Mexicana student teacher who pronounced her che as sh, and how relentlessly the Anglo kids and polos laughed at her until one day she fled the room crying. And the way the coach in charge of the class laughed alongside those students and called you too sensitive when you challenged him, his doughy face pouty, his festivity spoiled. It was because your own body bore the struggles over this hot land, brown and white, 
that your heart had run after the teacher running out of the room, knowing you would never stand with those who laughed, even if your body passed for one who did. And because of this, you never took another science class again if you didn't have to. Although science had been your first intellectual passion as a kid, inhaling marine biology textbooks in a furious effort to understand enough about hydrology to save the oceans from oil spills and plastic waste. Hot landscape full of stories like this, a free association of lines drawn between places and bodies and stories and bigger histories embedding them back and back and on and on with no clear determining logic, no master referent, just one thing reminding of another and another. And here was where I, and here I remember that, this was coming home. The pool or the public library, and when you got there, the ice would be melted, but the water would still be cold. Or once, right after moving back, you rode the bus to a paleteria you remember visiting as a child, an igloo-shaped building with smooth walls, painted such a bright shade of chicle blue, you've wondered if your memory was actually a dream. But no, 25 years later, there it stood. And you could still get a shaved ice in a foam cup with one strata of mango and another of lime, squeezed over the top with fresh lime, requested in embarrassed Spanish. When they slid the little window to take your money or hand you a paper-wrapped cup, you could feel the window AC from the interior. You could smell the cold, the smell of freezer, of freon. Here, in this city, you sat patiently uh, outside at a crumb-dusted picnic table with your sticky nena, nursing melting raspas as you stared at a colorful map of botanas its cartography of treats hung to neon green siding. Raspas you could get natural, finely shaved ice with the fruit and sugar blended in, or in the old style, coarsely ground with syrup, or even topped with ice cream. Frito pie, hot flaming Cheetos in a silver cellophane sack, smothered with the orange plastic of canned nacho cheese and topped with pickled jalapenos, pickle juice popsicles, Fresh cups of fruit dusted with chile or smothered with chamoy sludge. Chicharrones, or their swine-free counterpart. The fried hard wheels of red wheat flour called Doritos. You could do these things on the bus in April, but you could feel it coming. The sticky, tropical heat soon to roll off the gulf. April was a window of time whose air felt blank white a sheet of paper waiting for writing, a summoned story premonitory in its absence. Come Mayday, it would be impossible, inescapable, in your house, in your lungs, in the folds of your body filling with sweat thick as glue. It is strange to think that just two months before, in February, the river had frozen and blackouts blanketed the city, extinguishing all light. Her parents had emailed pictures of the snow back when she and Hector were still in California, shoveling all their shit into boxes as they prepared to come home. The coldest winter on record, her mother had written. She was from Chicago. She would know a cold winter. Now, in April, there's no trace of it as they sit at a green picnic table trying to eat raspas faster than they can melt.
All right. Thank you. And if it's okay, I'd like to read just a very short poem. Um, this is something I wrote recently. It's called Rumi Speaks of Night Travelers. I birthed him into an incredible name, but then he went up to me, named himself, rebirthed himself, by himself, for himself, sprang fully formed from his own forehead. He had to, just to live. Night traveler, Arabic, I tell my father's cousin when he asks what it means and what language, Azra. Uh, I know that familiar double take, what it means when the eyes slide sideways to meet another's in stealth, the question inscribed upon the face. But later, weeping my way through guided meditation, praying for care the size of my fear that I am just too small to fix it, that all I can do is help you hide until you can escape. I come to understand what you have named in yourself in me, who birthed you, who birthed yourself. When the teacher tells me, Rumi speaks of night travelers who turn toward the darkness and are willing to know their own fear. He says, sit with your friends. Don't go back to sleep. Life's water flows from darkness. Search the darkness. Don't run from it. Night travelers are full of light, and you are too. Thank you for letting me share that. Pass it over to Matt. <clears throat> I'm going to read one poem. I said I was going to read a poem. Um, and it's, um, there was a call out for um, poetry to celebrate uh, Yusef Komunyaka. And so I, um, I think I, I hope I said that. Yeah, I did. And um, I wrote a poem. And this, and it's titled "My Father's Love Letters." On Fridays or Saturdays, I imagine he would turn the plastic top from the bottle of aguardiente and sip and shoot burning liquid through the throat until he passes out. After a long week of being on his feet, carrying six pounds full and sometimes empty propane tanks to businesses along the streets of Santa Ana, El Salvador, I imagine him with paper and pencil, thinking of what to write my mother and I, already long gone in another country with paved streets, 
promising to take care of us if we would just return and try. Nursing his aching back and calloused feet, tired hands and an old elbow injury, rethinking the take care of us part. The pencil lead breaks on the word love and on the words promise, believe, chance, and future and has to start all over again on new paper because it needs to be perfect. Like his attendance to the corner market on Monday mornings for the delivery. My mother already knows the words unformed from his fingertips and father keeps breaking up his love page after page after page. So, so in 2016, we published Matt Cedillo's uh, collection, Mowing Leaves of Grass, 20, 2019, sorry. I've got like that, yeah, the Pisces sign just kind of jumped at me. Or what is it, the yin and the yin and the yang. Uh, but uh, mowing leaves of grass and and um, Matt Cedillo, I've known for a long time through uh, the internet, through through watching him on socials, and then meeting him at AWP in Los Angeles for a reading we did for uh, Poetry of Resistance, the anthology that was put out by Francisco X Alarcón and Odilia Galvan Rodriguez, who edited the collection. And um, you know, it's just a uh, very powerful stuff. Uh, and so when we met, I don't think I was publishing yet. I think I was walking around AWP thinking I was going to share my book with somebody. And when I get there, there's thousands of little Edwards there doing the same thing. Um, and so it was kind of like just overwhelming. But I had my book from Flower Song Books at the time uh, when David Bowles uh, was um, a you know, running it, and it was uh, my collection, Chicano Blood Transfusion. And so, you know, I ran into Matt over there, and then we, we chatted up, and then, and then, you know, I flew back, and blah, blah, blah. And then I, I knew, and then Matt reached out to me, and I reached out to him, and I don't know how it happened, but uh, mowing leaves of grass came to uh, my hands, and, and I was like, yeah. Um, I was like, yeah, even before I think I read it, because I, I knew the power of his poetry, I knew the power of his work, and I knew the importance of, of the messages he was getting out there. And so then um, we have City on the Second Floor that came out, and Mowing Leaves of Grass is still like mowing right behind it. It's, it, it never lost its steam. And so, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, not, it's, it's not only due to his, you know, work ethic and in, and, and all that, but the book itself, you know, once it gets into the hands of someone, I think it also spreads like fire. It's not just, you know, you know, I, I know you want to say it's just you, but it's your book. <laughs> you are the book. The, the book is fantastic, and, and it's, uh, it's t taught in many universities, and, and I think it's going to be one of those that, that is looked at for many, many years uh, to come. Uh, for for um, Chicanic studies and 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 for different uh, you know um, subjects. So uh, without further ado, uh, congratulations again for uh, being honored with the Dante's Laurel in in Italy, um, and um, for all the work that you do. And let's let them just 
destroy us with his words. All right. So I want to thank Edward. Uh, thank you, Edward. I want to thank Tony. I want to thank uh, Christina, who's actually the executive director of, uh, of the whole Guadalupe Center. So yeah, let's give it for her. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting her early today. Uh, I want to draw your attention over there. We got a flower song banner, a flower song press banner. So make sure you take a selfie over there. As David mentioned, get a, get a, get a the hashtag there. Uh, it's very important. I see a lot, a lot of talent in this room. I see an incredible amount of talent in this room. I see, uh, you know, I see all my flower, my flower song press mates, including Eddie Vega, came out of support. I really appreciate that. I'm sure we all do. Um, I see Octavio, the, the former poet laureate of San Antonio here. I see legend. Uh, to find Le, uh, uh, the Leon over there. I mean, that's incredible. It's what an honor to meet you. I mean, we haven't got a chance to say anything yet, but you know, it's an honor to meet you. I see John over there, Espinosa, who I got a chance to read at with the Unam San Antonio. So I just see a lot of incredibly talented. I see Chibi over there, and, and that's going to get to the point I'm going to make in a second here. I, I see an incredible poet over there. And, and the point I was going to say is I, I, oftentimes we Chicanos get a bad rap as being like uh, crabs in a bucket that we're always trying to drag each other down. <laughs> and the minute anyone kind of like gets up a little bit, they get pulled down. And that does happen, I've seen a lot of that, but that's not what I see here today and that's not what I often see. I often see a community that supports each other, I often see a community that helps each other. Chibi actually helped me get something in Houston going and that was, uh, uh, thank you so much for that. Um, Tony, you know, putting this thing together, I appreciate that, I saw Tony last in California. We did an event together there. Tony's got books. He's gonna, you know, yeah, you need to sign. You need to, you need to purchase them so he can sign it. You know, it's oftentimes that you know you get a chance to see the great Tony Diaz. I've been following this guy back since Libra Traffic Hunter days, so I'm really excited to be here for this. Uh, I know. Um, and as far as support goes, you know, actually, Edward, I do remember what happened is that we went to UCLA, and it all started with a handshake. And you know, things got a little more formalized from there. But that's how my relationship with Flower Song began was with a handshake and with a with a with an understanding with a with a, uh, the fact that I trusted him. He trusted me. And so that's why Mowing Leaves of Grass has gone on to sell thousands and thousands of copies, be taught all over the country. So I really appreciate you, Edward, you gave me that chance. Um, I've been touring around Texas for the last week or so uh, with David Romero. And uh, people might not know this, but this originally show was proposed as David Romero and Friends. But David did not think that that would be suitable. And so he and Tony worked it out so that it'd be better, it'd be more inclusive, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's what it is now. And this is like, you know, potentially the kind of historic type reading. So. You know, and that came from, from the, the, the generosity of, of David's spirit because he understood something. He understood um, that we get further together, that, that when, we, when we work together, we go further. And so I appreciate that. And I appreciate that spirit in so many people I see in this room today. And uh, now I'm going to shut the up and do some poetry. Here we go. Sundown, Levittown, Fort Apache, Dirty Harry, John Wayne, Blackface, Minuteman, Moynihan, Gone with the Wind, Breaking Bad. Washington Redskin, Confederate flag, the sword, the dollar, the cannon, the scholar, the cavalry, and the Ivy League history as written by lightning is the rising smoke of burning village. The ways in which victors keep their victims in front of these notes on the state of Virginia extraction, expansion, the winning of the West, Lewis and Clark Smith and Wesson, the circle of the wagon with bloodshed and slave sweat, the crack of the whip, the law three-fifths, the crown republic of King Cotton, the intended failures of reconstruction, the housing covenants that greeted great migration the same to the Mexicans of poor Mexico. So far from evidence, so close to Monroe Doctrine, to Davy Crockett, to prison industrial complex, a war on drugs is a war on our young. Bloody Christmas, reefer madness, 15 to life for four ounces, East Oakland, West Baltimore, South of La Brea and Oliver North, Plymouth Rock, Jamestown, the Rio Grande, stolen lives, stolen land.
Some are born in summer homes and palatial groves where pain was only to unfold from the pages of secret gardens where the red fern grows, but not I. See, I come from the stock of star-eyed astronauts, breathe the night sky with big dreams and wide eyes, always running down the devil's highway through occupied America, on the back to house on Mango Street, and all the books you don't want us to read. Raising a handball off the back wall of a panaderia born east the river post Mendez versus Westminster, one generation with red lines and diplomas that were signed with those dreams. And that skin need not apply. See, I come from struggle. And if my story offends you, it is only because you made the mistake of seeking your reflection in my self-portrait. See, this will not be about you. Because some are born of the common core, whose reflected faces grace the pages of doctrines discovered and age to be explored. World, world hardships crashed against new shores, New England, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, for others, pushed off Turtle Island. Aslan, do not call this brown-skinned immigrant. Child of the sun, son of the conquest, Mexicano blood, running through the veins of the east side of Los Angeles. Do not tell him if we have tongue, a song would best be sung. Do not tell me who I am. Because I was raised just like you. Miseducated in some of those very same schools. Off lessons and legends of honest engines and Christian pilgrims and a nation of immigrants all united in freedom that isn't until they pulled aside my white friend, pointed directly at me and said, Scott, I judge you by the company you keep and you spend your time with this. That's him a story, 1646. The adventure Uncle Sam, the stick-up man, he wet back. Show me your papers, now give me your labor, the melting pot. Was never made for the hands to clean it. The American dream has always come at the expense of those who tucked it in. You don't know that. So you don't teach it. Could write you a book, but you won't read it. So you know about you. And 1492, and the Treaty of Guadalupe, and California missions, and Arizona schools, these racists, they're trying to erase us as just kids in cities that bear our names. But you can learn some today from Ferdinand to Minuteman, from Arpaio to Alamo, from Popo Buddhist, or King the Indian, as it lives in me from Mr. 8 to Mr. 43, and try to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Can they mind? They didn't strike the Mandela, Mr. Pada, Wakimiretta, Zagalitas, Brown Beresi, Zapatistas, Richard Nixon, through Napoleon, from Peckinpah to Houston, from Nostar Republic to Christopher Columbus, all the way down to Donald Trump. We didn't cross the borders. The borders crossed us. Who you calling immigrants? Pilgrim. So, so traveling through Texas has been very, very, uh, very interesting. Uh, I saw this giant uh, uh, statue of, of Sam Houston in the middle of the pines on the way from uh, from uh, 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 Dallas to Houston, and uh, and I love, love, love the community centers I got a chance to. I love, love, love reading Houston. Uh, Try to set up some stuff in Dallas, so I'll maybe do something there some as well. Um, I would like for the state of Texas to get rid of that thing by the time I come back because it's far and away the worst part of my trip so far. Um, Second worst is the fact you guys have a Texas Rangers Museum. I mean, the Alamo is bad enough, but you actually have a Texas Rangers Museum? That's awful. Uh, you know, please, by the time I return, also take care of that. Less important than the Houston one, but you got that one too. And there's like the sign over there, it's like, drink more water, be kind, be nice. And on a big chalkboard, and, and God bless the artists that made that. I'm not trying to speak against them. I don't know, maybe they're in the room right now, I don't know. 
Um, but uh, but that was right across from the the, the 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 Texas Rangers, so it was really hard for me to you know drink water and be kind while looking at Texas Rangers Museum. So please, please, uh, by the time I return, have that have that taken care of. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's work, there's work. Um, there's work in California too. I don't 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 take me for like a you know in California was so no no no. We have something called Pershing Square in the middle of downtown. It's where all the everyone organizes and you know fights the power and does things. And they all meet at Pershing Square, and none of them even know to be offended by the fact it's called uh, Pershing Square. You know, for those who know, John Pershing was a, was a horrible human being who went down to Mexico, killed, slaughtered a bunch of people, uh, searching for Pancho Villa, never even came close, and just just killed random people. And so it's really inappropriate that there should be a spot there uh, called uh, Pershing Square where activists meet. You know. Change the name, yeah. And that's why my, I, call, I call my book Mowing Leaves of Grass. It's called Mowing Leaves of Grass because, um, you know, Walt Whitman was a very talented guy, but he was also deeply racist. And uh, many people not be aware of this. Uh, he was also a journalist, and he wrote, in, he wrote in a paper, What is Miserable, Inefficient Mexico to the Grand Mission, the People of the New World, a Noble Race. And um, he also wrote a poem called something like, uh, something to California. It's not Ode to California, but it's like uh, by the time I reach, uh, something about California. And it says, uh, California will teach us robust American love. And he's writing this in the 1850s. What's going on in the 1850s in California? We're talking a time of lynching. Uh, we're talking a time of, uh, you know, the Greaser Act. We're talking about really horrible things where Mexicanos are being dispossessed of the lands and just being randomly killed. So, you know, when you do something like that, when you, when you do have legs like that, someone like me is born a century later. Uh, you know, they work really hard. Uh, they get, uh, if you Google right now, the best political poet in America, I'm not only the first result, I got a panel saying that I'm the best political poet in America. So, you know, that's you know, not the best Latino, not the best Hispanic, not the best Chicano, not the best Mexican-American, the best political poet in America. And I'm goddamn proud to be Mexican. I'm goddamn proud to be Me Chicano. And I'm goddamn proud to be with Flower Song Press. Flower Song, Flower Strong. All right, I'm gonna do another poem and then I'm gonna get out of here. All right, here we go. Um, this poem is about, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's wild life, it's wild life. I know that David just got back from like Kilgore and a few other places. Chibi I know is uh, on tour right now doing the college circuit. Uh, doing the college circuit's wild, it's a wild thing. Um, you know, I also have done, uh, done the college circuit and uh, they ask you interesting questions when you're on the road uh, doing colleges. They ask you questions like, how'd you get started? Uh, who are your influences? Can you give us an example of a Latino experience? <laughs> to which I typically respond, when I was six, I lost a tooth. And I put it under the pillow. In the morning, it was gone. You, that's my Latino experience. That said, here's a poem about uh, growing up on the east side of Los Angeles. I was born on the east side of Los Angeles, across the tracks from Bandit Seal, industrial, petrified forest. Across the steps, a giant green tarp to customers and gossipers, our abuelitas, from raised sun to bombs of birds. They sold mangoes, papayas, and cherries, my favorite. As a child, I could never quite make the connection between the broken, empty bottles across the steps and the broken, empty men brought the rust factories from across the tracks. So my cousins and I would gather and throw rocks of dirt aimed directly for the head. And the men would yell back something like, what do you kids know about life? And we yelled back, take that, drunks. That was messed up. But that's just how it was, growing up, where Valley climbs up in a Soto. El Sereno. In the 1950s, my mother's father, technician by trade, by birth, a prince among men, and a backwards king that held him back, that treated him different for the ratings of his unapologetic brown skin, raised a family of six on a single income. There is hard-fought genius in me, older than my mother's womb. December 18, 1981. 
After months of fear and absence, my father makes his return. My aunt moves to the hospital bed. She does not want to see you. You know what you did. It would be best for everyone if you were just to leave. My mother holds her newborn, her only begotten son. There is a pain in me, older than my father's blood. As a child, I can never quite make the connection between his fingers and on my throat and the anguish in his chest, a suffering older than my father's bones. His father's whiskey. Grandfather's short temper, long-lived legacy to a time. History does not care to remember because beatings are unfit for scrapbooks and genealogy shame rarely make their way to the oral tradition of campfire. There's a burning in my heart The time cannot trace. Who died for my father's the suburbs treat me different. One day in the workforce, I told my boss, last night I met a woman, beautiful and intelligent, asked, where at? Well, Heights, where's that? The side of Los Angeles, asked incredulous, you met an intelligent woman in East Los Angeles? I wanted to slap the cavalry from his smirk, beat the manifest destiny out of his name badge but needing a paycheck. I stood in the weakness of silence, the pain and anguish of generations long past alive and sickened in my chest. There is a shame attempted upon us, older than the tongues of bigots. Walked off job, marched off lot, fist up for the cause because in a world that has told us no, that has told us different. I've chosen yes. Yes, I'm Chicano. Yes, Mexicano. Yes, indigenous, I brown skin and bleed red. Yes, unafraid and unashamed. My passion, my potential, my intelligence. Yes, the fire in my chest. Look into my eyes, you can feel its strength. And yes, as a matter of fact, some of the most radiant, gifted, talented, beautiful, intelligent men I have ever met reside on the east side of Los Angeles, just across the steps from the streets where I was born. Yes, I am all of this and more. I, like you, am made of stars. You, like me, so full of pain, are brimming with genius. Listen to no one would make you feel different. Thank you so much. We have uh, books for sale. Mar Marisol, Leticia, myself, David, Edward, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, you know, um, just coming here and just listening to Matt, and I just started thinking about community here. And, you know, thank you for inviting, you know, the winds of the West to come over here and pass through San Antonio. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just passing by. And, and but I just want to say that I want to thank San Antonio for, for holding us, you know, in community with you. You know, it's important that that that, that happens. So we're the wind that comes by and leaves and, and you, the authors of San Antonio, are the trees that stay rooted and continue to bear fruit 
And so we're looking for you and we're paying attention to you and we come and we appreciate you and, and we love what you do. And so um, just being here, I, I see publishers, you know, and I see authors that are here and, and, and they're doing the work and they're putting out the work and they're going through the same pains and the same, you know, uh, crazy, um, you know, ideas of, of, of how to continue to produce to to heal our communities. And so um, thank you for having us, Tony. Thank you, Cristina. And thank you to the Guadalupe uh, for for allowing us to hold space with you. We appreciate you and, and we hope to see you again soon. And we hope to also come back and see more local talent here so that um, I, I, I just I was just thinking about this place and I was like, I would love to see like a a wall of portraits of San Antonio artists. That would be so amazing. So that when people come from somewhere else, so that when we visitors come, we're not gonna find everyone in one spot at one time, but you know, you'll have the space where we can go look and say, oh, 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 you know, and, and, and show that appreciation. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, I do want to thank you and I want to appreciate what's happened because a year ago, there was not a Latino bookstore here. Verdad? And I think we've got new ideas about the wall of San Antonio figures. And on that wall would be, of course, Norma. Como estas, Norma? Gracias por venir. You know, a giant. Uh, And uh, other folks, we got John, Neftali, uh, JD coming in from Houston doing a residency here, también. You know, uh, David, también. I think at the end of the day, miren, Houston is here. The Valley is here on your backyard. So San Antonio, you've got a legacy here, but you got to share it. <laughs> this, is, this is not just a statewide destination. You got... California in the house today, as well as other cities and states. This is a nationwide destination that we're all proud of. So on behalf of uh, Christina Bailly, who is the director of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, this fantastic comp complex, applause to her. And also remember that every day this bookstore is open with the books on display there. And I hope that in a year we have that wall we're talking about a, a San Antonio artist so that when they all come, parading around from around the country. They see it as well. Hey, I'm Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. Están en casa. We're going to hang out for a little bit. You can hit up Eduardo, Edward to get you published. And then uh, we'll be chatting. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Gracias. Woo! This is Tony Diaz, El Libre Traficante. I'm the literary curator for the Latino Bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. The bookstore is open throughout the week. You can go to the website for the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center for the changing dates. And this is your chance to meet other writers, especially some that write about history. So there's some cookbooks, always something cultural. And of course, we tie in all the other art forms in the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. So thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you at the arts. Gracias. Thank you,